0: And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. All right, welcome. Today is Monday, February 5th, first uh, Monday of uh, the second month of the year. We're going to get started today after uh, last week where we saw earnings from uh, five of the uh, magnificent uh, seven technology stocks. Also, uh, had a uh, Fed meeting, a Fed uh, conference uh, or a discussion after the meeting with uh, Jerome Powell. And then on Friday, we got a very strong employment report so uh, this week we're dealing in the aftermath of uh, all the events of last week, and we're going to talk about those events and uh, what that uh, looks like uh going forward. uh Brad will be helping us out and giving us some thoughts and insights into what's going on in the uh, bond market, which uh again is uh, you know one of the uh crucial uh factors in terms of uh determining uh prices for uh, equities and uh, other asset classes like commodities and real estate. And uh, we'll talk about uh, Barron's and uh, their take on the uh, events last week, as well as uh, some individual uh, companies that that they discussed uh, specifically. And Barron's also had a uh, good article on those who are on Medicare and uh, what their best options may be for them personally. Uh, when you're looking at Medicare Advantage versus taking out Medigap, uh, something a lot of people don't think about until they uh, until they reach uh, age 65. But first, I'm going to start um, with some comments from a uh, book that I'm reading entitled uh, Clear Thinking by uh, Shane Parrish, uh, Turning Ordinary Moments into Extraordinary Results. And uh, the author, uh, Shane Parrish, uh, talks about one of the things that uh, we may sometimes uh, not focus on or may do subliminally, but which is critically important, I think, to uh, our success, and uh, certainly the author thinks that, and that is uh, positioning. And what he says is, uh, while uh, we are out there chasing victory, the best of us know that they must avoid losing before they can win. It turns out that this is a surprisingly effective strategy. Of course, if uh, if you lose before you have the opportunity to win, well, obviously you're not going to win, and you're out of the game. And the uh, the number of participants and whatever it is you are uh, seeking to be successful at has been winnowed, um, and uh, therefore uh, not taking uh, risks that could get you uh, to the to the extent that could get you knocked out. Critically important uh, to uh, to achieving whatever it is you're seeking to uh, to do. And each moment, he says, puts you in a better or worse position to handle the future. It's the positioning that eventually makes life easier or harder. And that positioning, he says, is determined and happens in ordinary moments. um, When when you're not necessarily uh, thinking that this is a do or die moment, it's those little decisions that add up to those bigger decisions. And a good position allows you to think clearly rather than be forced by circumstances into a decision. One reason the best in the world make consistently good decisions is they rarely find themselves forced into a decision by circumstances. You don't need to be smarter than others to outperform them if you can out-position them. Anyone looks like a genius when they're in a good position, and even the smartest person looks like an idiot when they are in a bad one. He says, time is the friend of someone who is properly positioned and the enemy of someone who is poorly positioned. It doesn't matter what position you find yourself in right now, What matters is whether you improve your position today. So every ordinary moment is an opportunity to make the future easier or harder. It depends on whether you are thinking clearly. So with uh, hopefully us thinking uh, a little bit more clearly than a few minutes ago, we will uh, dive into uh, what's taken place uh, over the last uh, week or so and uh, discuss uh, financial markets. So... Uh, last night, in a uh, pre-recorded uh, 60 Minutes uh, session, uh, Jerome Powell made a uh, rare televised uh, interview, which was recorded on Thursday. And this morning, the sell-off in Treasuries is extending after that interview on 60 Minutes uh, aired last night. And Powell said that the voting members are unlikely to reach the required level of confidence about the inflations passed by their March meeting. With those comments, he echoed the message he delivered at a press conference on Wednesday that investors are reading it as an intensifying pushback against expectations for interest rates to fall in 2024. The Treasury declines we're seeing today are not just uh, uh, exclusive to the United States. Um, we are seeing declines in the debt in Austria, Germany, and uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, specifically in the U.K., traders are giving up on bets that the Bank of England is going to deliver four rate cuts this year. Speaking of cutting rates too soon, uh, the team at the uh, OECD, um, Organization of Economic Development, is going along with a similar narrative. um, Alongside today's publication of its interim economic forecast, the OECD said it is too soon to be sure that the inflationary episode that began in 2021 will end in 2025 warning that central banks mustn't drop their guard. Still, the OECD did bring forward its expectations for the first U.S. interest rate cut to the second quarter of this year, earlier than its November forecast for a move in the second half of the year. And the group is also slightly more optimistic about the global economy than previously and revised its 2024 growth in the U.S. to 2.1% from 1.5%. The other big economy, of course, is uh, China and uh Reuters is reporting, um, after a CNN report, which uh, President uh, Trump uh, was quoted as saying that uh, he, if elected president, and he said this on a Fox News Sunday morning Futures interview, said he might impose tariffs on Chinese goods of more than 60% if elected, and uh, that messaging uh, putting some additional pressure on Chinese markets as uh, they are currently uh, dealing with uh, a... Troubled property market and a uh, sputtering economy as uh, nations like the United States seek to do more onshoring, meaning uh, purchasing less uh, uh, goods and importing less uh, from China. Alright, well taking a look at uh, futures, uh, we're uh, getting to uh, the weakest levels of the morning right now. Dow futures are down about 110 points, about three-tenths of 1%. S&P futures down 13. NASDAQ futures uh, dropping 23 points. Uh, A lot of this having to do with that uh, interview over the weekend uh, with uh, Chairman Powell. Also, geopolitical worries are part of the narrative this morning after the White House issued a statement noting that the U.S. military response to last week's killing of three American soldiers will continue, including additional strikes against Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. Houthis promised escalation after the latest strikes, according to the Washington Post. Also, uh, we had uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan uh, saying to Politico that uh, the administration is not ruling out the possibility of strikes in Iran. Um, and uh, other geopolitical news, uh, CNN reporting, is that the House will vote this week on a $17.6 billion Israeli bill uh, to aid Israel with no offsets, but the White House opposes the bill without Ukraine and uh, border funding. Speaking of that bill, the Senate will vote on Wednesday on border security and the Ukraine funding bill. Not clear if it has the necessary 60 votes uh, to pass the Senate, and the bill faces even lower chances of passing the House, where Speaker Johnson has been quoted as saying that it is uh, dead on arrival. California is getting some uh, serious uh, rainstorms and suffering some uh, mudslides, also power outages, and uh, sticking with the California theme, uh, restaurant chains uh, are seeing uh, their costs increase as of January 1st, minimum wage for uh, workers at uh, fast food restaurants in California increasing to $20 per hour, and that's not necessarily helping inflation as these uh, restaurants uh, say they're going to pass those costs on in the form of higher prices. Speaking of fast food restaurants, McDonald's this morning uh, came out with earnings. The stock's down about 1% or a little over three points. Uh, they did beat by uh, 12 uh, cents, reported revenues in line, and uh, said that comparable uh, same-store sales were up 3.4%. Um, the revenue numbers did uh, miss estimates as uh, Middle East conflict uh, weighed on uh, some quarterly shares. McDonald's is promising its best burger, um, and now the chain will see if diners will buy the uh, new best burger. Other companies in the news: Nvidia, Goldman Sachs reiterated their buy and raised their price target to 800 from 625. The stock is around 660 uh, uh, last week, so I uh, guess they had to come out one way or the other with a uh, direction on that price target. Uh, if they have a buy in the stock higher than the buy, either gotta cut it or uh, raise your price target. They rose their price target. Boeing down this morning, some new problems being discovered with 737 MAX fuselages. And uh, SD Lauder, symbol EL, up about 20 points or 15%. Um, this stock has uh, been uh, beaten down over the past uh, 12 months, um, but this morning seeing some recovery. Uh they beat earnings by thirty-four cents. They beat on revenues. They guided uh third quarter revenues in line. They said two thousand twenty-four revenues will be above consensus. Um they are expanding their profit recovery plan for two thousand twenty-five and two thousand twenty-six and announcing a restructuring program where they are going to cut three to five percent of their workforce, an estimated uh three thousand uh workers. Barrons over the weekend uh saying that uh getting a little worried here as uh, markets climb higher. Perhaps it's the uh, proverbial wall of worry um, and saying the stock market heads for a new high. Its foundation is starting to crack. The stock market's recent gains stand on three pillars, and two of them, they say, are uh, perhaps uh, getting more precarious, and therefore the rally is becoming uh, more fragile. But on the surface last week, uh, we saw the S&P climb a little over one 0.4% 0.4% to finish at 4,958, the S&P 500 uh, encroaching on that uh, psychologically important 5,000 number. That is an all-time high on Friday we saw for the S&P 500. And the Dow also uh, uh, climbed to a uh, all-time high, up 1.4%. And the NASDAQ last week uh, was up 1.1%. Uh, that the indexes remain strong, this seems surprising, given the flood of news the markets had to deal with during the week. For one, Federal Chairman Jerome Powell informed investors that they shouldn't expect a rate cut in March. They got a more hawkish statement than was expected, not what many uh, had hoped to hear, and it did cause the S&P to drop 1.6% on Wednesday. Fed's caution was understandable in the light of Friday's payroll report, which came in red hot. U.S. economy added 353,000 jobs in January, well above the estimates of 176,500. And this is leading to concerns that the economy remains too hot for the Fed's liking. What's more, the Atlanta Fed's now GDP tracker put U.S. economic growth at 4.2% before that release, so no signs of a recession there, but also not exactly the kind of data that would prompt the Fed to start cutting interest rates. It's possible that strong economic growth can offset the Fed in terms of moving the equity market needle. What it can't do is make up for big tech, which has been been driving the market higher throughout this year, Um, although the latest earnings uh, reports uh, were mixed. uh, We got Alphabet and uh, Microsoft uh, reporting a little bit of a mixed report, um, Apple uh, a little bit of a disappointing report, and Amazon and uh, Meta um, with reports that were uh, taken as uh, better than expected. So. He really relies here on these uh, big stocks, as uh, has been the case for some time. If these tech stocks uh, can't resume their winning ways, well, then the markets uh, will uh, struggle and possibly even uh, fall, and we will uh, see um, if uh, if these stocks do falter at all, if uh, the rest of the market is uh, capable of uh, picking up the baton and uh, carrying us higher um, without these guys doing all the uh, heavy lifting. Talking about the uh, jobs report. Uh, Barron saying that it report was a blowout, um, and we saw that uh, average hourly earnings jumping six-tenths of 1%. Uh, that is uh, somewhat uh, concerning when you're worried about uh, inflation, and we're seeing uh, the average uh, wage up 4.5% uh, from a year ago. Also, in this jobs report, we got revisions for the two preceding months of uh, payrolls, and those revisions added an additional 126,000 jobs than was previously reported. Also, the uh, survey of households showed that the unemployment rate held at 3.7%. That means we've uh, sat at less than 4% in terms of the unemployment rate going all the way back to 2021, December of 21. All of which confirms that notwithstanding the popular perception that the economy is weak, that the data says the opposite. Now there was some talk that uh, these numbers were uh, perhaps uh, thrown off by uh, seasonal adjustments. Uh, seasonal adjustments occur in January because you have a lot of uh, hiring that takes place in December and, in, and, and November leading into the Christmas uh, shopping season and then these uh, workers, these temporary workers and these jobs get shed. Um, and it leads to revisions in the uh, in the fall, and then it leads to revisions in January, and they try and uh, take that noise out and uh, factor out those uh, those those ramp ups and ramp downs, and therefore you get a revision um, to the uh, employment data, which could cause some uh, hiccups. But what's interesting about the revision this year is that before seasonal adjustments, payrolls did plunge by 2.6 million in January. That's actually, you know, a scary number if you hear that on the surface, that you really lost 2.6 million jobs, but you really added those jobs in the previous few months, um, and therefore uh, they weren't counted before, so uh, we're doing some math here to try and keep things smoothed out. So this uh, revision does happen every January, and this revision of 2.6 million, which was the January re- revision, was actually the smallest since 2012. So if we had gotten last year's revision, Instead of this year's revision, we would have shown an increase in jobs not of 353,000, but of 496,000. Uh, so uh, the talk that the revision may have been the driving force for this uh, very strong number um, seems like uh, a not suitable uh, candidate to uh, to pin that on. And uh, that's the conclusion, therefore, uh, could very logically be that uh, the economy is uh, just strong, the jobs market is strong, and uh, – We'll see if uh, if this uh, continues and what effect this has on uh, interest rates in the Federal Reserve and uh, Jerome Powell and his thought process going forward. Talking about tech and uh, big tech, uh, Barron talked about the earnings last week, um, and they had some uh, takeaways from uh, the five of the seven uh, Magnificent Seven reporting. One is, is that uh, AI, artificial intelligence, is gaining traction. Uh, Microsoft posted a beat and raise quarter. Uh, besting Wall Street estimates uh, in every category. We strong, saw strong data from not just Microsoft, but from Microsoft, Google, and uh, Amazon, um, all indicating that the cloud, where a lot of this uh, AI data gathering takes place, uh, is and remains strong. Another takeaway is that artificial intelligence, or investing in it, is expensive. Um, One thing Meta, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon have in common is they all expect to up their spending this year on AI-related servers, chips, networking gear, and other digital bric-a-brac. Perhaps this is uh, why Goldman Sachs today uh, upped their estimates on the uh, AI uh, chip leader at the moment, NVIDIA, this morning. Um, We talked about the fact that AI is uh, driving up that cloud demand. Um, Also, uh, we got a note on dividends from uh, Meta. Uh, in a surprise move, Meta said it would start paying a quarterly dividend of 50 cents a share, giving the stock a dividend yield of just under one half of 1%. We also got big stock buyback, um, at Apple, who bought back 20.5 billion worth of stock in the quarter, and still saw its net, net cash position rise by 14 billion from 65 billion to 51 billion, so, they spent twenty and a half billion buying back stock, and they still had an extra fourteen billion in pocket change uh, left uh, after the uh, after the uh, buybacks. Um, and speaking of Apple, uh, one takeaway is of the uh, of the Magnificent Seven that reported earnings. Apple is the one that appears uh, to be the coldest, so to speak. Uh, Apple did post better than expected quarter by uh, showing improving margin and a slight beat on iPhone sales, but Wall Street was uh, unimpressed. Investors went into the quarter worried about Apple's ability to grow and exited more worried than ever. China's revenue fell 13%, due in part to lost smartphone market share, while overall revenue was up uh, just uh, 2%. Sticking with this technology theme, Barron's uh, interviewed Jonathan Curtis, who is the chief investment officer of the uh, Franklin Equity Group and the lead portfolio manager of the Franklin Technology Fund. Uh, that fund was up 54% last year, thanks to substantial bets on the, most of the uh, Magnificent uh, 7. Um, interestingly, of the Magnificent 7, the only one he did not own um, was the best performer, which is NVIDIA, um, but nevertheless uh, was still able to uh, demonstrate a return of uh, 54%. Um, excuse me, it wasn't NVIDIA. It was Meta, um, which was the second best performer. Uh, Courtesies, more gains ahead for both the stock market and uh, the uh, tech sector driven by his aggressively bullish view on artificial intelligence. What he did say is that uh, despite his overweight in the uh, Magnificent Seven uh, going into uh, 2023 and throughout 2023, um, he is now uh, underweighting the Magnificent Seven and overweighting uh, other technology stocks. So he says they are putting their money on a broadening out thesis. And tilting more into enterprise stocks and less towards consumer stocks. So what's he thinking about in 2024? Um, he said, uh, he likes, uh, Snowflake, uh, symbol S-N-O-W. And, uh, he also, uh, is, was speaking positively on, uh, GitLab, uh, which is a stock, uh, that provides uh, tools for coders. He said they have a huge opportunity to raise prices and drive, uh, greater productivity um, at GitLab, G-I-T-L-A-B. In the uh, chip space, um, one of the laggards uh, last week, um, although it has uh, made a significant uh, move up 91% last year, um, Intel, symbol I-N-T-C. The CEO, Pat Gelsinger, uh, just bought shares in the open market. Um, he uh, bought the uh, dip after uh, Intel sold off following their earnings. He paid $130,100 on January 29th for 3,000 shares at an average price of $43.36. Um, he bought the shares through a family trust that owns about 28,000 shares. He also owns 62,000 shares in a personal account and 457,000 shares through other trusts. So I mentioned, uh, going to talk a little bit about, uh, healthcare and uh, retirement and uh, this is a critically important question um, regardless of your age because uh, hopefully one day you'll find yourself uh, utilizing uh, Medicare and uh, that means that you've uh, reached uh, age 65 or you're reached 65 and uh, you're no longer uh, participating in a private insurance plan and a new report finds a couple um, with Medicare uh, will need an estimated 189000 to 350000 for health care in retirement. This estimate includes premiums of Medicare as Part B and D, and including the Part B deductible and out-of-pocket spending for outpatient prescription drugs. According to the research, a couple enrolled in traditional Medicare plus a Medigap supplement plan will need 351000 to have a 90% chance of covering their medical expenses in retirement. If you're enrolled in Medicare Advantage, which is run by private insurers, then you would need about $189,000. Most people don't focus on Medicare until they're on the verge or the cusp of enrolling, so they don't appreciate its costs in advance. So it pays to be prepared. And even if you're not thinking about yourself, perhaps uh, you're many years away, you might be thinking about loved ones like your parents and what's the best thing to do uh, for them in terms of what to enroll in. And then you need to think to yourself, uh, I just mentioned there's two differences here. You know, the the initial focus or the initial thought might be, well, Medigap uh, insurance uh, on top of traditional Medicare will cost $351,000, uh, well a Medicare Advantage plan will cost $189,000, so this seems like a no-brainer. Uh, Medicare Advantage uh, will uh, will certainly make more sense, and that is not necessarily true. It may be true, um, but you need to understand the differences between the two plans. Medicare Advantage enrolls just over half of Medicare enrollees, or more than 30 million Americans. Medicare Advantage, in addition to the 0% premiums charged by many plans, has some attractions including extras such as gym memberships, and limited coverage for services that traditional Medicare doesn't cover, such as dental and uh, vision uh, plans. Um, but when you are in a Medicare Advantage plan, you are required to stay within a network, sort of like in the old days with a uh, HMO, um, based on your uh, your provider of your Medicare Advantage plan. Uh, they will uh, include you in an umbrella of, of, uh, of uh, potential uh, places that you can get your medical care, and if you were to venture outside of your plans network to see a doctor who doesn't take um, your Medicare insurance, um, you may be responsible for the full cost outside of emergencies. So under Medicare Advantage, where you have the ability to uh, see doctors uh, um, who, who do take, uh, who do take uh, Medicare as their uh, primary insurance, and then you have what's called a Medigap uh, insurance plan, um you have a lot more flexibility in terms of who you can see and when you can see them and uh and the ability to uh to to get the coverage that you may or, or see the doctors that you may want to see that you might be restricted in a Medicare Advantage plan but with this uh with this uh with the Medigap plan uh you will have uh you will have uh, a lot more costs associated with your plan because you will have things like copays and deductibles and that's why that plan uh, can see a lot higher costs. So there's really this trade-off here uh, taking place between Medicare Advantage, um, where you're invest- investing or or enrolling in a network, or a uh, Medicare plan with uh, a Medigap uh, insurance uh, on top of it. Um, so what you choose and how you choose it really is a personal decision. And a lot also has to depend on what you think your medical needs will be going forward. If you think you're not going to need lots of medical services, well, the cheaper alternative, uh the meta uh the Medicare advantage may be appropriate for you. On the flip side, if you want maximum flexibility or you think you're going to be using doctors very frequently, you might be better off uh um, in a Medicare uh plan with Medigap insurance uh there for you. So with uh with that uh, as our uh, summary we will turn things over to uh, Brad to take us back to financial markets uh, and give us his thoughts and insights. Good morning, Brad. Well, and Keith, good morning,
1: everyone. Once again, the bond market did not disappoint. It is the newest casino on Wall Street, and traders are certainly racking up gigantic profits and losses in minutes. We have said now since the beginning of the year that the bond market had gotten way ahead of the Fed on predicting the amount of cuts the Fed will make this year. I've been listening to Powell, who as of late, has really not been mincing words. As a schoolhouse rock reference, three is a magic number. After Friday's sizzling employment report and the bond sell-off on Friday continuing into this morning, the bond market is much more in line with three cuts, with the 10-year back above 4.1%. There are other factors going into bond pricing, not the least of which is international chaos and war on more fronts than we should be comfortable, which means that there could at any point be a flight back to quality for reasons other than the Fed. In municipals, longer 4% bonds have been selling well. For a few days, they were not available. So for those who want 4% at par, the opportunity is there again. However, my sweet spot for retail investors is still the 5 to 15-year range. Discount bonds. Taking into account the, diminis- the the minimis tax that you have to pay on these discount bonds, the after-tax yield on these bonds is still much better than where higher coupon bonds are being priced in this range in the primary market. I also always like the fact that this range is usually less volatile than the 20-25 to year range. I hope everyone has a great week and enjoy one of the most fun days of the year, the Super Bowl, this Sunday. Uh, With that, back to you. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Brad. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantern. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com.
1: Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.